You've been listening to a sermon audio resource from the ministries at First Baptist Church in Cedarvale, Kansas. We pray that this encourages you and challenges you on your walk this week with Christ. To find out more about what's going on at First Baptist Church in Cedarvale, you can go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. Thank you and God bless. Well, if you've got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in Acts. We're still in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning in the text. Um, i got to get there now. It'd be good if I got there, right? Glad to see you guys this morning. Um, world's crazy, amen? But God's faithful, Amen. So we're, uh, we're just going to hold uh, to that fact and that truth this morning. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we're going to dive into the text. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to be in your presence. Um, we're thankful that you love us and that you are all-knowing, that you are all-sufficient, and that you are preparing us for what you need us to do. God, we know that you've made us for just such a time, for just such a place, and for, just, for this season of life. You've prepared every one of us for your purposes and for your glory. God, help us to step into that and to, to walk out that truth um, for your glory. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Um, for some reason, when the church is persecuted, it, it grows. You see the church growing all over the world where there's massive persecution. And even in the small amount of persecution, and, and yes, I am calling it persecution in America, uh, the small amount of persecution that has happened in America in the last couple of years, uh, we've seen several churches and the church in general, people are asking questions. People have, um, have questions that they want answered, but we've seen churches grow. Um, I, I think of Grace Community Church in Los Angeles, California. They had to add a third service. They said they've never had a third service before in their life of the church they had to add a third service because so many people were showing up um, Jack Hibbs Church in Chino Hills California they baptized on one Sunday they baptized a thousand people on one Sunday um, they had to they had to move outside of the walls of the church and go down into the ocean and baptized a thousand people in the ocean so God's moving amen like God's God's moving in our nation and man I don't know what it is about persecution, but it causes the, the people of God and the church of God to be stirred in such a way that we are moved to action. We don't just quietly sit by when persecution happens. We get on our knees and we pray and we act in faith towards what God has for us. And this is just a couple of, of examples that I gave you this morning, but man, there's, there's tons of churches all over the country and all over North America that in the face of persecution have grown and people have come to hear the gospel and more people are becoming Christians because of persecution. But you say, well, why do you think that is, Caleb? I, well, I think people are looking for answers, amen? I think people in America, people in the world are looking for answers. They see the chaos that is unfolding. They see the instability that is happening. They see the, the insanity and... They're looking for answers, and let me tell you, 
the church, this church, is right at, in the middle of a prime opportunity to see Jesus move in a mighty way in our community. You say, well, Caleb, that's happening over there. That's happening over there. That's just, that won't happen here. I, I believe it can and it will happen here. We just need to step into the opportunity that Jesus has for us in the places where we are. And the question is not, are we, are we willing to move on the opportunities or I'm sorry, the question is, are we willing to move on these opportunities? Even through persecutions, even though there's trials, even though there are tribulations, even though there is sickness that might occur, the question is, are we willing to step into what God's called us to step into? If, if, if we're salt, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, says, we're salt, and if salt is not doing what salt is supposed to do, it's no good to be, other than to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of people. If we are salt, that's what we're called to do. Salt has a job. It is a preservative agent. Even in the midst of battles, we are called to preserve. We're called to preserve God's righteousness, His righteous standard, and to proclaim His word. Now, if you remember, last week, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60, Stephen is in the midst of giving this epic sermon beatdown to the, to the leadership of the day because they are trusting in anything and everything but Christ. They are looking at the Old Testament people as people look, to look to as, as the beacon of hope. They're looking at the building as the beacon of hope. And they're looking at all these different things that, that are potentially going to bring them um, peace and eternal security. And Stephen says, no, it's Jesus. And by the way, I see him. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Oh, by the way, you killed him. And they get mad. And Stephen was stoned to death for standing up for, or standing up against the religious system and standing up for the gospel and proclaiming the truth of Jesus in his day. And this, as a result of this taking place, we see here in Acts chapter 8, it launches a massive wave of persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So let's look at Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men, devout, devout men buried Stephen and made great, made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered the house to house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, we're going to stop right there. We're going to keep going in a minute, but I want to stop there. We see this introduction to a, a young man. We actually saw the introduction of it at the end of chapter 7, um, where Stephen is getting stoned. The, the men who were stoning Stephen were laying their jackets at the feet of a young man who approved of the death of this Christian. His name was Saul. We all know that, fast forward, he becomes the Apostle Paul here in just a little while. But at this moment, Paul is ravaging the church. He is approving of Stephen's death. He gave the okay to everyone to throw rocks at him and kill him. And then this wave of hatred and persecution arose against the church. 
It, it caused the people in the church to scatter. Like, make no mistake about it. The enemy does not like the gospel. The, Satan does not love the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Satan hates it. He despises this. And he says it must be stopped. It must be squashed. But what do we know from the truth of God's word? The, the gates of hell, what? Won't prevail against the church. It, it just won't. They won't prevail against the church. And so, even though there is this massive wave of persecution against the church, and it caused the people to scatter, except for the apostles, they, we see that there's some great things happening. So, what happens here? The church is scattered, all except for the apostles. They, they stayed because of their devotion to Christ. And their desire to preach the gospel and to evangelize those in Jerusalem. And like I just think about the cost. I think about the cost that the apostles in this day had to pay for standing up in the city like Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the, the main section of Judaism. Like it's where like the temple's there. There's all kinds of things that are right there in Jerusalem. And so the apostles said, we're going to stay. Everyone else in the church, they scattered, but the, but the apostles, they stayed. And this cost them greatly. It was, it was a time for great cost. And look, make no mistake, in 2021, standing for the gospel will cost you. It will cost you. But even in the midst of the battle, God provides great revival that takes place. These men stayed, these apostles stayed, and they, they ran faithfully and stayed the course even in the midst of the heat. But everyone else scattered. But they did not scatter and quit. They scattered and they began to propel the mission and the gospel of Jesus Christ in other places. We'll see that upon scattering, they were, they were sharing the good news of Jesus with people in different areas. So this is we see the beginning of the missionary movement in the text. Um, we see that happening in verse two. Uh, they take a few. They take one verse to talk about the funeral of Stephen. Uh, now, if you look at this, it says devout devout men took time to bury and lament, have lamentation over Stephen. Now, if you do a little digging in church history, this was not the apostles. The apostles didn't do this. This was more than likely um, some, some religious Jews that were opposed to the death of Stephen. And they, they were upright. It says they were devout men. They were upright men. And they, were going to, they opposed the death of Stephen. So they took time and they lamented over him and they had a funeral for Stephen. So that's, we see one verse. Because people always say, man, these, these heroes of the faith... They only they get one verse talking about, and he died. And they lamented, they, they had a funeral. Moses died, Joshua. And it's just like, it's not, because what's the text about? Is the text about Stephen? Is the text about the, the apostle Stephen? No, it's, it's about Christ and, and about the glory of Jesus Christ. And so these devout men, they had a funeral for Stephen and they lamented over him. And then you go into verse 3. But Paul, but Saul, he was ravaging the church. Now, this kind of language in the text, when you see in verse 3, it says what? But Saul made, uh, was ravaging the church and entered house to house, and he dragged off men and women, 
committing them to prison. So we see this language in the text that says that he was ravaging the, the church. This kind of language was used to refer to a total city destruction or the kind of mangling that happens by animals. So this wasn't just a civil, hey, open the door. Hey, listen, you're, arrest, you're under arrest. And they put them in handcuffs and let them off to prison. This was the mangling of believers. The text, this is a total citywide destruction of Christians and the mangling of believers to take them off to prison. So some of them may have made it to prison, but in the idea of mangling, sometimes if an animal mangles somebody, they probably don't make it. I mean, if you've got a lion, the apex predator lion that mangles someone, they might not make it. So this idea of ravaging the church, the original language comes back with this, this definition of mangling believers. Uh, they weren't getting fair trials. And the prisons that they were taken off to, they weren't like the state pen here in Kansas. It wasn't, it wasn't a nice facility where you got a bed, you get three meals a day, you get an exercise yard, maybe some free Wi-Fi. They didn't have that in these prisons. It was more than likely a dark, cold hole and the jailers were brutes that loved to torture other human beings. They got pleasure out of torturing and, and hurting other human beings in these, in these prisons. So by all rational thought, like you just think, if you look at this at the beginning of this, listen, if you're a Christian, Saul's coming after you and he's ravaging the church, he's mangling believers, he's throwing them into prison. And so by all rational thought, all rational you know, common sense would say, listen, um, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do this. I, I, know that, I know that I went to the church service. I know that I was a part of that worship service. I know that I said I believe, but man, I'm seeing what's happening and I'm just going to step out and I'm not going to be a part of this. So this is rational thinking, but man, it doesn't happen. It, it doesn't happen. You'd think that people would be ready and willing to run and abandon Christianity and, and, and do what the leaders of the day told them to do. Because of the, just the physical assaults alone that were, taking a play, that were taking place on their lives. But we see in the text something totally different happening. We see these, these men scatter and they begin to preach the gospel and we start here in verse 4 through 7, and we see this incredible thing take place. Let's go and let's read the text in verse 4. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word, preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowd, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they had heard him and saw the signs that he did, for the unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many, and that many that had had them, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. So we begin to see this missionary movement take place. We see the word scattered here. They went about this, this idea of the word scattered. And when about preaching is the Greek word that comes out of it says peg paro'o, which means and is used to talk about traveling missionaries and their activities in the book of Acts. So the early church begins this missionary movement 
And they, they become activated for the mission and the cause of Jesus Christ. We meet Philip. He is the first missionary mentioned in the text. He went um, first, um, or I'm sorry, he was the first one. He was actually given the title of evangelist. So Philip was the first guy given the title of evangelist. And he goes into Samaria and he proclaims Christ in that city. Now, interesting, okay, Samaria, where have I heard that word Samaria before? This is the city, it was a city in ancient, a northern king, it was the, nor, the northern ancient kingdom of Israel, and it was a city that fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC, and as a result of that resettling, there was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles in this city. And if you remember in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, what did she say to Jesus was talking to the woman at the well? She goes, why is it you're talking to us? Jews and Gentiles, Jews and, and, and these people, they didn't mix. They looked at Sumerians and they said, man, you're like dirty dogs. They didn't look at them the same way. This was a city of massive division. Massive division. Does that sound like any place else around in our country? Places of division? So Philip goes into Samaria where there was massive division and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says the entire city took notice. What's the text say? Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord all paid attention to him and what was being said by Philip. And they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. And then unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who had had these spirits and many who had been paralyzed and lame were being healed. And so we see Philip has captivated, Philip captivated the crowds and they paid attention to the message of the gospel that was being preached and proclaimed by this evangelist. And, and listen, many times you, when you hear a preacher, when you hear a preacher that's, that's bored in the pulpit, it's, you know, every, well, I have a hard time listening to him because he's just, he's boring. He's just boring in the pulpit. It's because he himself oftentimes is bored with the message that he's preaching. Man, it, it, it's because he himself is bored with the message that he's preaching. This should never be the case for a gospel preacher. A gospel preacher should have a fire in his belly. And if that pastor or this preacher doesn't have a fire in his belly and have a passion for preaching, then he might want to reevaluate what he's doing with his life. Furthermore, let me, let me just furthermore on this. Christians should never, ever say they're bored. If a Christian says that they're bored, it's because they're not walking in the calling that they have been called into. Christians have a lot to do. The scripture says, listen, the, the harvest is plentiful. The fields are white. They're ready. Well, I, need, I need harvesters. That's what Jesus said. We should never be bored. Um, I told this story in Sunday school um, this morning. But I, I went to Sonic and picked up a slushie for Logan because he wanted one. And Hannah didn't want one. But um, I, as I sat there the lady came out and i asked her a name and i said hey how can i pray for you she told me how she could pray for her. and then i said hey just want you to know that i've been bought with the blood of christ and i hope that you know him i don't know, don't know if you do but man i know that jesus can and will forgive and can and, and will love you um i just hope that you you believe and i wasn't bored in that moment i wasn't sitting there going golly i'm so bored i was thinking in my head because i had i was already premeditated whoever was coming at me i was going to 
share on some level with him. I was going to talk to him about Christ somehow. Let him know that, that Christ cares. And I wasn't sitting there thinking about my trials, my, my problems. I wasn't bored. I wasn't like, oh, I got nothing to do. I had an engaged mind and I was thinking about what was coming down the pike. And if Christians ever think to themselves, man, I'm, I'm bored today. You might want to go do some door-to-door evangelism. You will lose your boredom very quickly. You will lose your boredom very, very quickly. Um, I, I just, you can go door-to-door evangelism. You can go and walk up to people in the grocery store and talk to them about Jesus. And I promise you that the, the boredom you have will lose you, will leave you like a rat jumping off a sinking ship. It'll be quick. When, I, when I'm doing active evangelism or door-to-door evangelism, I'm, I'm never bored. I'm never, actually, the fact that I'm thinking about what I want to say and how I want to say it and how I want to articulate the truth. And everyone, everyone in the church who has ever done this has always come back and told me, wow, I, I taught a, a college class for a while, college Sunday school class, and we talked about doing street evangelism, doing door-to-door evangelism. And we went through this, this course called The Way of the Master uh, by Ray Comfort. And we went that, through that course, and at the end of it, we took these high school and college students out. And we went to, the, at the time, the mall was actually an active place that, that people went to. Now it's not. Um, <laughs> now it's not. Uh, but we went to the mall, and we just... We split up in pairs of two and three, and we just walked up and we just asked people questions. And I, at the end of the day, when they came back, I said, "Hey, so what did it feel like to do that?" They said, "Man, and we were my heart was pumping, and I was trying to think." And I said, "Were you were you bored with your life?" And they said, "No, I wasn't bored." I said, "Why were you not bored with your life?" Well, because I wasn't thinking about my life. I said, "Exactly, exactly. You weren't thinking about you. You were thinking about the mission of Jesus." And when we're doing this, we we think about. The wondrous things of Jesus being conveyed to people that don't know, potentially don't know who Jesus is. And I'm telling you, everybody in the church should at least try door-to-door evangelism at least once. If you say, Caleb, I, I, don't, I don't know, just try it once. It'll, it'll change your mind on some things. Will you have the door slammed in your face? Yep. Will you get cussed out? Yep. Will you see weird things? Yep. But you'll also have people that will want to hear more about the gospel. You're going to have people that want to give their life to Christ and repent of their sins and follow Jesus. You're going to want to, you'll, you'll have that too. So yes, there is going to be some rough stuff. And yes, there's going to be people that are going to mock you. And yes, there's going to be people that, that ridicule you and ignore your message. But there will also be people that will be wanting to know more about Christ. Christians are called to be missionaries. All of us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, says, Go therefore and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Christians. It, it just... Uh, and this is... Listen. If we as Christians truly understood the blessings that come from God to those who attempt to bring someone else into the faith, you couldn't stop them. If you truly understood the blessings that God hands out to believers who go and proclaim the gospel to other people, you and I, I couldn't stop you with a baseball bat and a cattle prod. I couldn't stop you. You'd be like, Let, I need another one. Give me another one. Because there's coming a day when, if, if listen, I know at the end of the day, the crowns that you get are going at the feet of Jesus. But I can promise you, you're not going to be sitting there and, well, I'll just be in heaven and just I'll take my cabin in the corner of glory. 
You're not going to be that guy wanting to be a cabin in the glory. You're not going to want to have a cabin in the corner of glory. And when everyone else is throwing their crowns at, at Jesus' feet, you and I are not going to be going, that don't, we're not going to be like, you know what? I don't need that. I don't need a crown. I'm fine. You're not going to think that. And I'm telling you, those that are actively involved in seeing others come to faith, there is a blessing from the Lord. And we, if we truly understood, we could not be stopped. Amen? Well, we couldn't be stopped. All right, let's look at verse 7. For unclean spirits crying with a, crying with a loud voice came out of many. Man, this is, like, this is just next level insane evangelism that's taking place in the text. This preaching service, this church service was so intense that literal demons left people's bodies in such a fashion that people noticed there was wailing and screaming coming out of these people. Demons were leaving in a shrieking tone and some of them were even paralyzed. They were so demon possessed they couldn't move. And like I think about this, like we think about this service, but I, 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 as I was writing this and reading this, I was thinking about those people that were paralyzed, those people that were having these demons come out of them. What took place in their life that they allowed some sort of a demonic system to get into them in such a fashion? Like what had they believed? What had they done? What had they gone through? And that's number one. Number two, and how it felt when, it, when they were finally freed from that oppression. When they were finally freed, like it's just literal demons coming out of people. People that were paralyzed by demon possessions were set free from their state of being. The gospel comes into Samaria, into this city, and literally sets human beings free from literal slavery and addiction, as well as demon possession. These demons... They had no other choice but to leave. And when they left, they left shrieking. Because demons have no authority in the light of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. You look at all the text. Anywhere, anytime demons came in contact with Jesus, they didn't argue. They didn't put up a fight. They just said, have mercy. Have mercy. There was nobody that tried to put up an argument, to put up a fight. Like it just didn't, ha it didn't happen. Even Satan himself in June chapter 9, when, when Michael the archangel comes and takes Moses' body out of Jude chapter 1 verse 9, he just says, wait a second, it's not time. And there wasn't an argument. He just says, God rebuke you. And Satan wasn't like, well, I've got a case here. He shut up and sat down. Demons have no authority in the light of Jesus Christ. Darkness cannot stay and argue with light. Like that, that's even in a physical sense. If the room's dark and we put on light, if it's completely pitch black dark and we turn on the lights, light, when it comes in, darkness isn't going away. I'm going to stick around and hang out. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm staying. When light turns on, darkness runs. It scatters away. It cannot stay. It has only one choice, and that is to leave. It is to scatter. It is to, to be gone. That's, that's what it's called to do. And as a result of this, joy breaks out throughout the entire city. Make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, there are people in this very city that are bound by demonic oppression and addiction. 
whether it's the demon of alcohol, drugs, pornography, or the, or the demon of apathy, this town has it. And the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I have the answer right in front of us. But my concern is that I think that many are afraid of what, what, what it would mean if we boldly stood and proclaimed the, the, the things of Jesus, the, the teachings of Jesus to people in our city. To have boldness to talk about what Jesus has done. And some might think, well, Caleb, I'm not qualified to do that. I'm not qualified to speak about Jesus. Now, listen, hear me. I'm not saying you should be a preacher. I'm not saying that everyone in the room should be a preacher. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that simply saying that you and I should be willing to express to someone who, who you were before Christ and who you were after Christ and that Jesus has changed my life. That's not a, that's not a hard thing to do, even though sometimes maybe it is hard. It's difficult, but it's not hard. But this is where you have to trust in the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you. To say, hey, this is how Christ changed my life. And tell them how Christ can save a sin. Listen, Christ can save a sinful person. How do I know? Because they saved me. Because Christ saved me. I know he can save you because if he can save me, he can save anybody. Amen? Got anybody else in the room like that? If he can save me, he can save anybody, right? This should be the banner that is clear in the days in which we live. Especially for all of us that are members of First Baptist Church. Every single person, listen, every single one of us in this place today, we carry a banner before us. And that banner, we, go, we take it with us everywhere we go. It either declares that we are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ and that our life is not our own and we live to glorify the King of glory. Or it's a banner that declares, I serve the God of self and, I, and of self-love and self-entertainment and self-worth. That's what I worship as me. We need those in Cedarvale, Kansas to have a banner that is clear that says, I belong to the Jesus Christ. I belong to the God of the universe. And I, I, like here, I, before we end this morning, I want to read a statement from a young Zimbabwe pastor. This was found, there's a couple different versions. I don't know how it happened. It was either carved in the back of his hut door or on a piece of paper on his desk before he was literally overrun by those who hated Christians and he was pulled out, dragged out, and killed as a Zimbabwe pastor. He says this, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back or let up, slow down or back up or get away. I will not be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, and mundane talking, and cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, platitudes, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by his patience. I lift, I lift by prayer. I labor by the Holy Spirit's power. My face is set. My gate 
is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow and my way may be tough. My command, my companions may be few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of my of adversity. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy. I will not ponder at the pool of popularity. I will not meander at the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop. I must preach until all know. I will work until he comes. And when he comes for me, he'll know his own because He'll have no problem recognizing me because why? My banner is clear. Ladies and gentlemen, my hope for us as a church is that our banner will be clear before the Lord Jesus Christ and before the world around us and say, I belong to Christ. It's Christ that I proclaim. It's Christ that holds me close. And we would be as Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I'm unashamed of the gospel because it has power. Do you believe the gospel has power this morning? A couple of you? couple of you that believe that we need to try to infect the rest of us if you believe the gospel's got power we got to get after it because and here's the beautiful thing you can win how do you win because jesus wins have you read he doesn't he doesn't lose it's satan that loses the enemy thinks he's gonna win he's so deluded in his head that he thinks oh i got this i'm gonna take god out he believes that trash but guess what the Lord Jesus Christ is victorious. Amen? He's victorious. And I said this over and over and over again. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Christ did everything that was needed on the cross. Amen? Everything that was done on the cross was handled by Jesus. He did all the heavy lifting. We just got to be obedient and say, okay, God, I'm going to be like Philip. I'm going to scatter and I'm going to preach. I'm going to talk to somebody about Jesus. I'm going to see, I'm going to make my banner clear tomorrow when I'm at the bank, tomorrow when I'm in the grocery store, tomorrow when I'm at school. My banner is going to be clear when I'm on the roadside working, when I'm doing the things that I need to do. I'm going to be, my banner will be clear for Christ, that I belong to him. I won't negotiate. I love that. I won't negotiate at the table of the enemy. So many of us have negotiated at the table of the enemy. Oh, I'll, you do this, I'll do that. No, there's no negotiation. The enemy has no power. Amen? The enemy has no say-so in your life. Amen? How do you believe that? I do. Well, that's 